Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3 and addressing the misunderstanding and misuse of the spiritual gifts. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who causes all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you've given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Don't you love that prayer? One of my favorite colleagues from the Book of Common Prayer. So we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3, but I want to step back a little bit and pick up where we left off and just kind of bring us, collect us together um, in the presence of God under the hearing of the Word of God. In the Old Covenant, when God called a person for a particular work at a particular time, God sent the Holy Spirit upon them. The Spirit came upon Moses to speak to Pharaoh, upon Balziel to adorn the tabernacle, upon Gideon to defeat the Philistines, and upon Elijah to outshine, pun intended, the prophet Baal. No? Okay. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I don't know. I, just, I don't know. So God has always equipped his people to do the work of ministry to represent him. Since the day of Pentecost, God calls every believer for a particular ministry. And he divinely enables us by putting the Holy Spirit not upon us, but within us. In the new covenant, God equips us to do the work of ministry and to represent him from the inside out. Same spirit completely different delivery method. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to represent Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to use those gifts in a manner consistent with the character of Christ. Not upon us, but from within us. It's, uh, it's kind of like the difference between filling up a bucket with rain or a garden hose? Anybody been there? All right, if you want to fill your bucket up with rainwater, you can. Not a problem. I actually do that just because I think it's fun, not because it's necessarily effective. And you can, you can fill it up with rainwater if your bucket is located at a particular place at the right time. Rainwater is a great method for filling up your bucket. Because oftentimes when it rains, it pours. But rainwater just isn't always available, is it? It just doesn't rain all the time, except for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, but rainwater is simply not always available. It doesn't rain all the time, and sometimes it doesn't rain, especially when you need it, right? 
So what if there was a way to access water whenever you needed it and that you could always have as much as you needed for whatever you needed it for? It'd be like having a water source that came straight into your house. You could tap into that source and fill up your bucket with a garden hose. You could fill your bucket up at any time for any reason and have as much water as you needed for whatever you were doing with that water. Having a permanent, non-restricted access to water is a better method for filling up our bucket. It's so amazing that we take it for granted. You remember the first time you ever tried to fill up a bucket with a garden hose? Maybe you're a little kid. Have you ever, have you ever been with a kid when they try to fill up a bucket with a garden hose for the first time? If you haven't done that, try and do that with a child or a grandchild. Um, because one of two things inevitably happens, right? On the one hand, in our zeal, in our exuberance, we crank up that valve, right? And when we, we go to fill the bucket, the force is so strong that the bucket, what? It tips over and it splashes everywhere. And we don't get much, much water, if any water at all, in the bucket. We have the experience of water, but there's little or no water in our bucket. And that's not very helpful, is it? Maybe fun for a second, but not very helpful. On the other hand, all right, and our concern and our caution, maybe our determination to be in control, maybe because of the mess that we've experienced in the past, we barely turn that valve on. And when we go to fill up the bucket, there's water in the hose, but there's not enough pressure to move the water and the water stays in the hose and doesn't get in our bucket. So we have the water we need, but that water's not getting into the bucket, and that's not very helpful. All right, it's a metaphor. All right. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In Christ, we have a permanent, internal, endless supply of the presence and pressure and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our access to living water isn't the issue. The issue is how we get the water out of the hose and into our bucket in a helpful way so that we can be who God created and redeemed us to be and do what he has called and commissioned us to do. So um, let's open the word of God. As we continue to read, Mark, learn, inwardly digest and apply the scriptures, remembering what Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I actually want to begin with the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which is actually back in 1 Corinthians 7. It's on the screen. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote... The New Living Translation says it this way, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. So in his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul addresses several issues that come up as the believers seek to know Jesus and make him known. 
And so misunderstanding and confusion happens, and so someone or a group of people write Paul a letter, describing the issues, outlining the issues, and asking Paul for a little bit of wisdom and guidance. They're writing him for help. And from chapter 7 on, Paul is answering those questions. And we're not sure specifically what the questions are or how they are asked, but we do get a sense of them by how Paul responds, about what he writes back to them. Paul gives clarity and instruction around such topics as conflict, marriage, worship, financial giving, the Lord's Supper, the resurrection of the body. They're asking a lot of questions in Corinth. And chief among the questions they're asking, chief among the issues that they're facing, chief among what Paul addresses is spiritual gifts and their appropriate use and practice. The church in Corinth is struggling. There are some who want to elevate the gifts. They want to make much ado about the gifts to legitimate their spiritual life. The gifts and their use makes them feel special and important and perhaps better than. And they want Paul to affirm the use and practice of spiritual gifts, primarily for their own purposes. And there are some who are profoundly skeptical of the use of spiritual gifts. And they don't want the gifts to distract people from the gospel or to be more greatly desired than Jesus himself. And the gifts and their use makes them feel uncomfortable and concerned. And they want Paul to correct the use and practice of spiritual gifts. And so in chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul responds clearly, respectfully, and directly. Paul affirms the gifts and their use, while at the same time, he corrects their misuse and abuse. So on the one hand, Paul repeatedly shows that all Christians, every follower of Jesus Christ is gifted. Every follower of Jesus has been given at least one spiritual gift to be used regularly to build up the church and continue Jesus' mission humbly and with love. On the other hand, Paul clearly and repeatedly expresses in one way or another that there is no exclusive claim or higher status for those who operate in their gifting. And that gifts aren't meant to be operated out of emotion, but out of the presence of God in our lives. Gifts aren't badges of superiority, but gifts of grace for the good, for the good of others. So they shouldn't be written off or banned just because they're misunderstood or misused. And this is what we see throughout chapters 12, 13, and 14. Paul affirms the gifts in their use and corrects their misuse and abuse. Why? Because he's aligning the believers to the apostolic faith, urging them to reconcile with one another, urging them to eagerly desire the gifts while being unified in mission 
in ministry. So what does that look like? Um, oftentimes when we are trying to capture the heart of God, understand and apply what it is he's saying to us as followers of Jesus and grace, we use um, this matrix of up, in, and out. It's like a compass that guides us to Christ and Christ-likeness, that keeps us together, moving with the Lord, joining him where he is, doing what he's doing. And so um, I just want to pose this for us as we go through this uh, series together. Because Paul unequivocally and repeatedly says there are spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit to be used for the benefit of the church and the mission of the church. And that the Holy Spirit endows every follower of Jesus with at least one spiritual gift to enhance Christ-centered community and empower Christ-centered mission. And I think what this illustration does is it begins to help us understand how that happens. It provides kind of a matrix for us. It serves kind of as a biblical checks and balances. So there's a threefold complementary purpose of the gifts of the Spirit. Up. The gifts display Jesus Christ in love. Okay? So at any time, at any place, in any environment, if the gifts are being used and they're not exalting Jesus, then it's not the Holy Spirit. In. The gifts edify the people of Christ in love. So at any time, in any place, with any group of people... If the gifts are being used and they're not encouraging and nurturing and maturing our identity in Christ, then it's not the Holy Spirit. And out. The gifts empower the people of Christ to witness for Christ in love. So at any time, at any place, in any situation... If the gifts are being used and they don't declare and demonstrate the gospel, helping everyone and bringing new people into a relationship with Jesus, then it's not the Holy Spirit. And what I pose is that understanding the intended purpose and practice of the spiritual gifts actually enables us to identify and avoid their misuse and malpractice. And this grid has been extremely helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for us. This is the sweep of Paul's wisdom and instruction, his affirmation and his correction in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. There, there it is, summed up in a picture. The spiritual gifts display Jesus Christ, edify the people of Christ, and empower the, the witness for Christ in a manner that is consistent with the person and the character of Christ. So when the gifts are operating anytime, any place, among any group of believers, what does that mean? It means the gifts will come in a manner that is patient and kind. 
not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, not demanding or irritable or keeping a record of being wronged, but rejoicing in the truth, never giving up, never losing faith, always hopeful and enduring through every circumstance because the gifts display Jesus, edify the people of Jesus, and empower the people of Jesus to be witnesses for Jesus in love. The love of Jesus. So turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. In your blue Bible, that's on page 959. Paul jumps right in and provides some specific correction. First, verse 1, Paul addresses the problem of ignorance as it relates to the spiritual gifts. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be what? Ignorant, uninformed. When it comes to the spiritual gifts and their proper use, Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant or unaware. He wants us to understand, to be properly informed, to receive and use the gifts appropriately. Now, a person can be uninformed about the spiritual gifts. They can genuinely not know that God endows every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ with special gifts that empower and enable them to know, serve, and live for Christ and make him known. It's possible. A person can be uninformed. They can also be unaware of their spiritual gifts. They may know that God gives gifts to his people, but they may not know what gifts God has given them. They simply don't know how God has gifted them to encourage the church and help other people meet Jesus. Finally, a person may know what their gifts are, but they may not know how to use their gifts properly. No one has taught them. No one has come alongside them and trained them and raised them up in the use of that particular spiritual gift. So they don't know how to apply that gift according to God's promise, according to God's word. And I think that raises a really important and a really encouraging question for us as we journey together through this series. Do you know which spiritual gifts God has entrusted to you? One prayer today might be, Lord, I don't know which gifts you've entrusted to me, but I would like to know. And over the course of the next several weeks, whenever you want, I'm listening, would you tell me what they are? I'm under the assumption that as followers of Christ, we can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. I believe we can. Have you ever had someone come alongside you to teach you and raise you up to use the gifts according to the Scripture? Because as we journey through this, that might be a great prayer. That might be a great thing for you just to ask somebody. Or, or ask me and Brent and Robert, and we'll hook you up with someone that has that gift. Believe it or not, there's a lot of gifts operating really beautifully in this body. And, and if you don't know how to operate in that gift, and you have that gift, you, you don't just learn in isolation, you learn in relationship. Right? You didn't learn how to talk by yourself. You didn't learn how to do math by yourself. We don't learn how to operate the spiritual gifts in love by ourselves. But there are others who 
would be incredibly blessed to be able to share that with us. Now, sometimes in life, when we receive a gift, like on our birthday or at Christmas, we don't always use that gift wisely or in the way that it should be used, right? Like, I'm not the only one who has taken material gifts and misused those. I remember um, one of the first times I did, though, <laughs> um, when I was in middle school, a friend of mine had a slingshot, and I really wanted a slingshot. Not a wimpy little pixie stick rubber band slingshot, like a full-on fiberglass, big, you know, rubber cable with a little pocket net for a nice pebble type of slingshot. Um, and I received. I asked for that slingshot, and I received it. And I remember being at the lake, um, trying out that slingshot. Man, how far can I sling this little rock? How hard can I hit that tree? And uh, I got a little excited. I got a little ahead of myself. And uh, my emotions took over, and I made a poor decision. I saw some ducks sitting on the water. And I'm thinking, there's no way I can hit those ducks. I bet I could hit those ducks. And I put a rock in, I slung back, and I'm like, well, let's see if I can hit those ducks. Whoom, whack, boom, right in the head. And at first I'm like, and then I'm like, oh, man. That's not good. Especially when my mom and sister start screaming and running toward me. What have you done? And so I felt terrible. Because I like ducks. I didn't want to hurt the duck. So we went, waded into the water. We picked up the duck. We went into town to a veterinarian hospital and paid for my transgression. <laughs> And I felt really bad. I apologized to the duck. The duck is fine, or was at that point. And I apologized to my family because it really upset them. And I have never misused a slingshot since. The problem wasn't the slingshot. The problem was the slingshot user. It's a metaphor. <laughs> User error. So it is in the church. No gift, no divine grace or ability from God should ever be abused or used to harm. The problem isn't with the gifts. The problem is how the user wields the gifts. And even the most well-intentioned followers of Jesus do not always use the spiritual gifts as God intends. Paul addresses the problem of ignorance, and in verses 2 and 3, Paul addresses the problem of counterfeit gifts. He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. 
Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, the context here is that there are a lot of believers in Corinth who were converts from paganism. And apparently some of them were continuing to practice the gifts of paganism, the counterfeit gifts of a false religion. And they were bringing what they had done and what they knew and the things of the world and the things that were ungodly into the house of God. And whatever the counterfeit gifts were, they were from a different spirit. They didn't exalt Jesus, they didn't edify the church, and they didn't proclaim Jesus as Lord. And Paul says, this is not the Holy Spirit. Others were using authentic spiritual gifts that were from the Spirit of God, exalting Jesus, edifying the church, and proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And Paul says, when that happens, that's the Holy Spirit. In the same way, before we received Jesus, we worshiped the lesser things of this world. But now, we're worshiping the one true living God. Hallelujah. Before we received Jesus, we were persuaded and led by godly impulses. And oftentimes, we carry that with us into the kingdom of God. And we have to unpack and throw aside anything that entangles us from following Christ and seeking his kingdom and pursuing his righteousness. But now we enjoy the influence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit who leads us in the way of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the life of Jesus. That's who we are now. It's what Jesus says when Peter confesses him as Messiah. That wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. You couldn't have figured that out on your own. That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It's the same thing that John reiterates in his pastoral epistle, 1 John 4, 2 through 3. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledged that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is a spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. The point that Paul is making is that there are different spirits. C.S. Lewis says it this way, wherever the spirit of God is moving, the devil wants to build a chapel. In other words, wherever the spirit of God is, so the devil is trying to get in there and counterfeit the good things that God is doing with deception and division and things that destroy And Paul's saying we've got to be able to recognize what is the spirit and what is the flesh. What is the spirit and what is the world? What is the spirit and what is the enemy? Being led astray is what we used to know. But now the light of Christ shines in our hearts and in our homes and in this expression of his body in this city and in the world. And the very presence of God lives within us. That means 
We have been made, recreated in Christ Jesus to be spirit-led. And the spirit always leads us to the good shepherd, for the good shepherd, with the good shepherd. Who brings us out of error into truth. Out of condemnation into grace. Out of fear into love. Out of brokenness into healing out of anxiety into peace, out of isolation into acceptance and belonging, here and now and forever. So what? So we eagerly desire that all the promises that God shares with us in Christ that are available to us in Christ are an aspect, are fully working and being enjoyed in our lives, individually and corporately. We eagerly desire our full inheritance. We eagerly desire the Holy Spirit, the gifts he's given us for ministry and mission and the power he gives us to wield those gifts in a Christ-like manner. What if, what if that happens? What would your life be like? What, what would your marriage be like? What would your parenting be like? What would your friendships be like? What would worship be like? What would it be like banding together to share the gospel and make disciples? and raise up leaders and start a new expression of the church in Mankey Park? What would it be like to, to do the work of evangelism and discipleship through our makerspace? What would that be like in our life groups? What if we began? What if we recommitted as followers of Jesus with grace to humbly and yet expectantly ask for the bubbling up, never-ending, overflowing presence and pressure and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That our bucket may not only be full, but be full to overflowing for the benefit of others. What if we began to pray regularly? What if it became normal to pray, come Holy Spirit? Because when we ask the Holy Spirit to come, he comes. Bringing the promises of Christ to bear in our lives and the gifts or the graces of Christ for us to build up one another in a manner that's consistent with the character of Christ. And our lives and our families and this church would be marked beautifully signed and sealed by the irresistible, soul-satisfying and contagious fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because those are the evidences of the presence of Christ 
through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. That is Paul's heart behind affirming and correcting the use of the spiritual gifts in Corinth. And it's our heart behind this message series. We want to understand. We want to be properly informed. We want to receive and use the spiritual gifts appropriately according to their intention and design defined by the scripture for the sake of Jesus, for our joy, for the benefit of others, and for the mission of the church that those who don't know Jesus will come to know Jesus as we stretch out our arms in love and bring them to him. Father, we do thank you for your love and the promise that when we ask, we receive. When we seek, we find. When we knock, the door will be open to us. Thank you for knowing us right where we are, for seeing us and loving us and accepting us. And so as we come to you around your table through the bread and the wine, we say, come Holy Spirit. Heal us. Forgive us. Pour out your gifts, your graces upon us. And fill us afresh with your love. Make all the fruits of your presence in our lives. Be born and get big. So that we might live not for ourselves, but for you who died and rose for us. And like you, for the sake of others. We pray expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen.